Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And yes, I am preaching a resurrection message. Just a little different maybe than what you're accustomed to. But this is what God placed on my heart. Thank you, Lord family, for a tremendous job. And in this great crowd, I think it's a great crowd. Well, let me, let me tell you this. Uh, they turn people away from the balcony and uh, I don't know. Man, I tell you, the choir must hate to stay up here because some of you, you're like a sardine in a can now. I think I'd have just sat up here and been able to stretch out a little bit, but that's your prerogative. Choir did great. And uh, we, uh, that's a good problem, people looking for seats, extra seats. Think about this, there's probably 100 or more kids downstairs on top of this. Isn't that great? God is so good. And we thank you. I really mean this. We thank you. I know sometimes preachers will look around and say, why, here's a crowd, some of them that only go on Christmas and Easter. Thank you for letting me preach to you twice a year. I'm glad that I get to preach to you. I count it an honor and a privilege. And a lot of you are visiting from other churches. And I thank you for being here today. I know how valuable your time is. And I appreciate you being here. And I will do my best to get through this as quickly as I possibly can. But yet, I see so much in this event in the Apostle Paul's life uh, that it, it compares so closely to our nation today and the message that our nation needs to hear today and that pulpits need to ring out today all across this land and now even all around the world. But let's look in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others, other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them, what's the next phrase? Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus and saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. You do know he, don't, he doesn't need anything, don't you? 
And seeing that he giveth to all life and breath and all things, you do know because of him you're breathing right now. Sure. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far away from every one of us. Hallelujah. For in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said, for we also, we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. How, how be it, certain men clave unto him and believed, among which was Dionysus and Aragopate and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Paul comes into Athens and the apostle Paul was used by God in such a mighty way in the founding of the church. See, really that's where we're at today. We went through a generation where those that are older in this church, you experienced revival and the presence of God and you heard much preaching and teaching about Jesus and people's love for the Lord. You heard much preaching about the cross and the resurrection and how to be a Christian. But in my lifespan, I have seen it go from where we've gone from a very, very churched society to a very unchurched society to now an unreached society where now people know nothing about Jesus and nothing about God and really nothing about the resurrection. Or they hear other voices that seem to drown that out to say none of that is important at all. Well, that's what Athens was like. Athens is considered to be one of the most beautiful places scenery-wise in all the world. Athens was built in an area, the center piece of Athens was what was known as the Acropolis. And on the Acropolis, the Parthenon was overlooking the exquisite city of Athens there. And the Parthenon was a temple that was dedicated to Athena. And even if you don't know much about history, you probably know much about the Greek goddess of, named Athena. She was the goddess of wisdom. But now by the time Paul gets there, the Greeks are no longer in total control. The Romans are in control of this. Well, from the Parthenon, if you go just maybe 50 yards away from the Parthenon, there is a large 
enormous rock. I, I, there's no way I can even describe it here to try to let you know how large it is. But if you climb to the top of that rock, that rock oversees the whole city. And it is an unbelievable view of the city of Athens as you stand on that rock and look out to see the whole city. Well, by the time that they were there, it, it, it has become known as to the God of, of Ara, which are Ari, which simply means the God of war. It was the God of Ari to Greeks, but they have changed the name, the Romans, to the God named Mars. So it became known as Mars Hill. Ari and Mars both, Ari to the Greeks, Mars uh, to, to the Romans, they were both the God of war. So it's a picture of their God of war watching over their city. It has become a, a city of idolatry. And because of that, Paul has moved to come and stand on Mars Hill and preach something that they either didn't know about or that they couldn't explain. And some, many of them, it's the first time that they've ever heard it. There may be someone here today that this is the first time you've ever heard about the resurrection of Christ. And I don't want to take for granted that just because you are in America that you know the gospel and you understand why we worship today. You see, you're not a Christian because you're American. You know, someone came to an old preacher one time and said to the old preacher, he said, are you a Christian? And they said, yes, I am. Said, why are you a Christian? They said, well, I was born in America. And he said, I had a cat that had kittens in a bread pan one time, but that didn't make the kittens muffins. <laughs> it's not where you were born, it's have you been born again? That's the question today. So he starts telling them that you have to know this resurrected Jesus in order to have this born again experience. So the resurrection did three things to the apostle Paul in dealing with a world that was lost and in chaos and searching. Now it's evident they're searching. They're searching for something to satisfy or they wouldn't have had so many gods. Would you agree with that? They are looking for something to give them. I think, I think everyone here today, you're looking for something something to satisfy you. We all want peace in our heart. We all want to know that there's something better after we die. We all wanna know that there's an eternity and a place of peace. We want that and they're searching. They just haven't heard the right message yet. So Paul brings the right message. He brings the message that touched him, the message of Jesus and the resurrection. See. The message of Jesus alone just preached by his life would not have been enough for Paul. Paul said the thing that makes the difference is the same Jesus that died also rose from the dead. So let me just give you three quick things here if I can. First of all, Paul says the resurrection should, because of the resurrection, we should have our passion stirred. When he looked around at a world 
that all he saw was people grappling for peace and wanting to know that they could have a relationship with God. They, they didn't know who God was. They didn't know anything about God, but they had the desire. When he saw that desire, something moved in him to preach Jesus to them. And that's where he's at in this important city. It's one of the most important cities under the Roman Empire at this time. It was not only an important city, it was also an intellectual and cultural city. See, when they couldn't find the answer the way that they wanted, they started searching other avenues. They thought maybe we can find out about God if we search particular studies in depth. So you have Pythagoras, he developed the principles for our modern day mathematics. All the kids say boo. That's where our mathematics came from. You not only had that, but the geometrical principles were set aside through the people that lived in this era of time. You had Socrates that taught Plato and Plato that taught Aristotle. And while they all differed in their philosophies, they, they were philosophical. So you have these people that are looking to science and philosophy and mathematics and astronomy and all the other areas of studies trying to find something to satisfy them. So it was a very intellectual, a very intellectual city. See, here's the problem. If you try to figure God out, you'll never know him. I don't know why he chose it this way, but he did choose it this way. He said without faith, it is impossible to believe God and please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we have to come by faith. That's the only way. That's the only way that we can come to know him. So they had an intellectual city, but yet they were ignorant. He said that they were ignorant. He said, just in case... Now this phrase, it, it's really, it reminds me, it's kind of like a, a lawsuit. Some of you maybe have never been sued before. Just start preaching. <laughs> It'll happen. When they file a suit, when you get down to that et al, then they'll name things, and a lot of times they'll, they'll leave blanks just in case we want to throw somebody else in we find somebody else that is tied, that we don't see it right now, but as the case develops, we may wind up suing you, you and you, but just in case, we're gonna keep a place for Paul over here too. In case we wanna bring him in. Well, that's the way it was. They thought, well, we've got all of these gods, so let's just make one God an idol to an unknown God and an altar to an unknown God, just in case we miss one. That's the way a lot of people are today. They're trying everything. Just in case that they miss one. They were an idolatrous city. Do you realize that Athenians, there were only, one historian said, uh, there, there, were only, there was only a population when it started of 10,000, when there was a population of 10,000, they had 30,000 gods. They dedicated every house to a god. They dedicated every altar to a god, every statue to a god. 30,000 gods. 
One citizen in history said, you have a better chance in Athens of meeting a God than you do a man because they had three times the number of gods as they did men. That's the way we are. We just keep getting more gods and adding more gods. And that, Well, preacher, we don't have idols today. Sure we do. They just change names. We, we serve the idol of fortune. We serve the idol of fame. We serve the idol of fitness. Now, I'm not against people exercising. You go ahead and exercise all you want to. My body wasn't built for exercise. It was built for homecomings. But fitness is good. I'm, I'm not saying that. But the problem of it is when we think, I know people that really honestly believe this. They think if they exercise enough and take enough vitamins and eat enough vegetables, they're never going to die. But guess what? They're going to die. And then we have the God of fun. See, this is why, this is why I, I dislike so much. I, I hate to be so plain, but you know the apostle Paul, he wasn't politically correct or theologically correct. He just said it the way it is. And, and I, really, I really hate this. I hate for people to say, I hate this saying. Well, I go to church, but it's just no fun. You haven't been to Rubyville very long. In fact, it's not only fun, but sometimes it gets, there's so much fun that I get, I get to have fun watching you not have fun. It was an idolatrous city, but the resurrection, because of the resurrection, our passion should be stirred. Second of all, our preaching should be simple. He just preached Jesus and the resurrection. I would have you know nothing save Jesus and the resurrection. He would preach that, that would work. I'm here to tell you today it still works. You don't need to know the Bible from cover to cover, but you do need to know Jesus died. He was buried. On the third day he rose and he is coming again. And if I lift up Jesus today, I have done a job that is pleasing to the Lord. He met a lot of different types of people. And he was preaching this simple, this simple message to them. He met, met them in the marketplace. That's common people, ordinary people, everyday people, people who were serving others. He not only met them in the marketplace, he met the Epicureans. That was the group that says, eat, drink, and be merry, for you know not what a day brings forth. Don't ever look to the future, live for the day. Get all you can get out of life right now because there's nothing after. Then there were the Stoics that they believed mind over matter. And if you, if you get in your mind the right stuff, nothing else matters. That's really what they were teaching. So they were just the opposite. One was very too positive and the other too negative. There wasn't a balance in their life. So they'd go into extremities because of all these philosophies that had come about. So here he comes in preaching. And when he starts preaching, he says, hey, I want to preach about the God that you don't know. And the first thing I want to tell you is the God that you don't know, you can know him. You may have come in this place today and not know him, do not know him. But I'm here to tell you, you can leave this place and know the God that we serve. What kind of a God is he? He said, why, he's the God that created all things. 
And by the way, all of these magnificent buildings that you built, I am so thankful that, that we have this beautiful church to worship in. And I'm thankful to all of you that have given, all of you that have worked to bring this about. Here we are now in a time of celebrating the years that God's given us in this new church. When we built this church, I, I suppose I was bothered more by people everywhere, unbelievers and even people, some that left our church that said, why are you building a church this size? In fact, by the appearance of things this morning, we've been a little too small. Because he knew. He said, it's great to have all of these things. But did you catch what he said? He said, he is the God, he is a God of creation. He said, he's the God that made all things. He's the God that's responsible for everything. He's the one that created it all. He's not only the God of creation, but he is also a controlling God, not only a creating God. He not only creates it, but he controls it all, sustains it all. And he said, by the way, if you think you can put my God inside of a building, you're wrong. Aren't you so thankful when we leave this place today that God will go with us wherever we go? He'll be right there. We can speak to him. And then he went on to say, the good news is you can not only know this unknown God, but he said, he's not very far away. He's close to us. So because of the resurrection, our passion should be stirred. Our preaching should be simple. And our purpose should be sure. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I love that phrase. He just preached Jesus and the resurrection. There's been times when I've said amen to a lot of things, amen to some things I was sure of and amen to some things I wasn't so sure of. But I didn't know and I was gonna find the answer out. But one thing you can always be sure of, Jesus rose from the grave. I'm sure of that. I'm just, and see, that message works for everyone. He, he spoke to spiritual people who were there. There were religious leaders there. There were people that were pursuing, even though it wasn't the right spirit, they were pursuing false spirits, but they were still spiritual. There's some people now, you know, that they die. Have you seen in the paper lately, some of the obituaries, they died as a very spiritual person. Well, I hope they let people know I died as a saved person. Because you can be spiritual, but maybe you're following the wrong spirit. The Bible says, try the spirits to see if they be of God. So he was dealing with, with spiritual people. He was dealing with sophisticated people, people with great money, great wealth, people that knew what to do with the money that they had. They had a great mind. And he was also dealing with secular people. Now what's this tell us? This tells us that you need to preach Jesus to smart people, wealthy people, rich people, poor people, in between people, regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of the nation they come from, just preach Jesus and him resurrected 
and he'll do the rest. When we do that, we'll always get the same response they got. This is the response that they got. And I know it's Easter and I know some of you don't like to get worked up on Easter, so you better pray for me because when I get to the end here, I might have a hard time. They responded to what he said when they heard the matter. Verse 32, this is the key to preaching Jesus and presenting Jesus and the resurrection to anyone. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, we'll hear thee again on this matter. Verse 34, Howbeit certain men claved unto him and believed. Your answer will fall into one of three categories this morning. It will either be derision, some mocked. Some you mock. <laughs> you see them people, you see how worked up they got. Yeah, you see them, they run around the church. Well, they were jumping up and down like Tigger on Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> you see that crazy preacher up there? You see what he did? Be careful what you mock. Has it ever dawned on you why maybe I'm like this? I mean, I was raised in church and stuff we see in church today, you can trust me on this, it doesn't hold a candle to the things we used to see. And now if people get blessed and they lose control, you know, someone said, oh, that's not biblical. What Bible are you reading? Some of these people undoubtedly was part of the crew that when they looked and saw the disciples on the day of Pentecost and they looked at them and they were, and they were, he was preaching the gospel, I'm sure when they looked and they said, these are drunk on new wine. They accused them of being drunk. I better move on, that's not going over good. Just be careful what you mock. Derision. And then there's not only derision, there's division. Some just left and said, hey, we'll be back sometime, hear a little more about it. Maybe we'll give it some thought, maybe we won't, but uh, we hope to hear you again on this matter, maybe talk about it a little more. That's the way it is. I, I know I point out Bruce and Jamie a lot, but they probably can verify it as much as anyone. You can present the gospel over and over again. Some people immediately, they accept it. Other people, they'll say, not today. Maybe later on, I'll talk about it. But then, there is that group that believes. A whole city. We just read of a few at the end of verse 34. The soil wasn't deep, but he planted seed and he still got harvest for the Lord. People did believe. So it doesn't matter if everyone leaves here believing today or not. 
You have the right to choose if you'll believe and follow the Lord. But still, maybe today somebody will hear the message and maybe today somebody that's lost will respond to the gospel and maybe today somebody here that will say, my life is not complete. I know that I'm missing something. Preacher, can you tell me what's missing? Yes, he is that unknown God. You don't know him yet. He's not far away, but when he comes into your heart, you'll leave and know that he's with you. Now, why is that important? I don't consider myself to be an expert, and I sure couldn't sit with philosophers. But I'll tell you what I can do. You call me arrogant if you want to. I'll tell you what I can do. I can preach funerals. Uh, I'm not saying that boasting. I never dreamed of a time in my life that I preach as many funerals in my life as what I preach. I've preached over 4,000 funerals now. There's some days where I'll have two funerals a day. And it never fails. Uh, if, if they are not cremated, then we take them somewhere to a cemetery Candy and I have a place picked out over here. It's uh, right close to the front uh, in the area around Howard and Arlene's gonna be my neighbors over there. <laughs> and uh, my art tombstone isn't there yet. They have their headstone already there. And uh, because they know they're not gonna live forever. I mean, you want to enjoy life as long as you can, but we know we're not going to live forever. See, you've got that Epicurean mentality. Epicureans say, eat, drink, and be merry. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. They're right. You don't know if you're going to die or not. I don't walk along in gloom and doom, but I am going to die. And over there are markers, grave markers. They're all lined up. Now, just any day now, will you give me just three more minutes? Good. Just any day now, and this is closer than any of you realize, Jesus is going to come again. Have you followed Israel this week? Do you see what's happening right now? Do you good to turn the news on right now? Because the local news in Israel reads as though you're reading the prophecies out of Revelation and out of Jeremiah and out of Isaiah and out of Daniel. It just, it's just unfolding. It's coming to pass. The same Jesus that rose from the grave is coming again. Now when he comes, we're promised that two things are going to happen. When Jesus comes, the dead in Christ, that means those that are lined up in that cemetery and every cemetery around the world and regardless of how they may have disposed of their body when they have died, whether they have ashes that are scattered, whether they have ashes that's in your living room of your loved ones, if they died, if they're buried, and Jesus comes, the first thing that's gonna happen is heaven has a heavenly DNA. And every molecule is gonna come together and in perfection, we will raise with a glorified body. 
that is age proof and disease proof that will never get sick and never die and never get tired and our vision will be perfect and our mind will be sharp and you'll never have to worry about hospitals and funeral homes or any of those other things. They are there. And then for those of us that have accepted Christ that are living when he comes, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Somebody said, why do the dead get to rise first? Got six feet farther to go. I don't know. They deserve it. They've been waiting on it. I don't know what answer you want. I just know it's gonna happen. I can assure you it's gonna happen. How do you know that? This morning, if you were here in sunrise service, it happened when he died on the cross and said it's finished. The graves were opened and the saints got up and marched back into the city, the holy city. One of these days, Jesus is going to come and today may be the day and when he comes, we're going to march into the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God, prepared as a bride, adorned for its husband. That day is coming. Well, how does God know who is right and who isn't? It's amazing. I said three minutes, I'm taking five. Here's here's how it is. When you are born again, when you repent of your sins and ask the Lord to come into your life and forgive you of your sin, you're born again not of flesh. That was your first birth, a physical birth. This is a spiritual birth. Your spirit is dead. But when you are born again, your spirit comes to life. So now you have not only physical life, you have spiritual life. And that's why the Bible says that we're born again, not of the flesh, but of the... Of the what? Spirit, Spirit. okay. He that hath not the... Is none of his. So what he does is he says, in the beginning when I created man, I breathed in the nostrils of man. Man became a living soul. That word, when he gave us the breath of life through Adam, that word is nephesh, which means spirit. He breathed his spirit into Adam, gave him life, spiritual life, physical life, eternal life. And Adam sinned. The spirit died. The body eventually died. And the only way for things to change eternally is by him breathing the spirit into these bodies. So now here I am with a physical body, but the Holy Spirit is in me. He that hath not the spirit are none of his. So it takes the Holy Spirit to be born again. The spirit convicts us, the spirit calls us, the spirit, the spirit, pulls us to him, draws us, if you will, then the spirit changes us as we repent of our sins. When we die, when we die and they place our body in the ground, our body is like we're asleep. When you look at someone that has passed, it just looks like they're asleep. Well, we know 
what happens to the body goes back to the dust where it came from. And we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's our spirit. But what about the Holy Spirit? He's in us. Is he in you? What happens? What happens? Let me describe it this way. I've used it, I think, on one other occasion in this church. There is a bird called a guillemot. We don't have them. We have a few that occasionally come in from the ocean. Uh, but they are in the New England states, especially out on the West Coast and in the Rockies in that area. The guillemot is a strange bird in this, this respect. They, uh, they don't lay their eggs just anywhere. They're very selective where they lay their eggs. Uh, the species that's most prominent of them, they lay their eggs on the cleft of a rock. They'll, they'll find a cleft of a rock that is as long as this altar here in front of me. And when they fly in, they lay their eggs in a straight line. So one bird comes in, lays their egg. Next bird comes in, lays their egg. Next bird comes in, lays their egg. It's in a straight line. Just enough room for them to sit on their egg. They have done studies, and they're amazed by this. They will take this egg and move it down here, take this egg and put it in the middle, take this one and put it here. When the mother flies back in to her egg, she realizes that's not her egg. Now they all look exactly alike. So she'll fly back and she'll look down that row and she'll fly over that row and she'll go to her egg and set on her egg. If they move it 10 times, 10 times in a row, she will never set on the wrong egg. She will always set on her egg. Science. Now listen, this is the kind of stuff we, we spend millions of dollars for in this country. You ought to want to hear this today. They spent millions of dollars to search out to try to find the answer. How does that bird do that? After it was over, in every study that I've ever read, they come up with the same thing. The only thing that they can come up with is inside that egg is the young of that mother. And she knows the life that she has given to that chick. So she's not satisfied with anybody else's. She knows the one that has her life inside of it. And that's the only one that she's gonna sit on. That's the only one that's gonna hatch. That's the only one that she's gonna feed. That's the only one that she's gonna take care of until they can take their flight and start all over again. I wanna tell you something. There's a lot of people like eggs lined up out here in Rubyville Cemetery and over at Universal Cemetery and over at Memorial Cemetery and Sunrise Cemetery and Soda Cemetery. They're just lined up. But one day the Holy Spirit is gonna say, I know which one is mine. And when that happens, the Spirit of God will say that one's got life from me and that one's got life from me and that one's got life from me and they'll raise from the grave. You better know the living God.